Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Hanging mistletoe may be a holiday tradition, but it actually blooms in early spring. And it's not as romantic as it seems. It's actually a parasite. And it's one that scientists are still trying to understand. That's next. While you're listening to podcasts, remember to check out the other Quantum Magazine podcast, The Joy of X. Host Steven Strogatz interviews top-tier scientists and mathematicians. New episodes out now. Also, tell your friends about this podcast and give us a like or follow where you listen. It helps people find the Quantum Magazine podcast. The leaves of mistletoe produce sugars by photosynthesis. But instead of roots, it has structures that pierce the host tree's vital tissues to suck out nutrients and water. It's like that holiday house guest who refused to get the hint and leave. Sure, Gita Peterson, a botanist at Stockholm University in Sweden, says sharing a kiss under the mistletoe is a Christmas tradition, which traces back to ancient Greece and links the plant to fertility. Well, it's not something that I've ever really thought much about myself and it's kind of strange because if it wasn't for this mythological story i don't think that people would be particularly interested in mistletoes i mean they have at least this kind of mistletoes have boring little greenish flowers But scientists are just starting to realize the ways in which mistletoes are unique at the molecular level because of its interdependence on a host. The cells of all multicellular organisms rely on organelles called mitochondria to make their biochemical fuel. All multicellular organisms, except mistletoes, that is. Not only do their mitochondria produce little, if any, of this fuel— they've lost many of the genes needed to make it. In the few years since botanists discovered this anomaly, scientists worldwide have tried with no more than limited success to figure out how mistletoes pull off this trick. Elizabeth Skippington presented the first hint that mistletoes were unique in 2015 at the International Conference for Plant Mitochondrial Biology in Wrocław, Poland. Skippington was at that point a postdoctoral fellow in Jeffrey Palmer's lab at Indiana University. She astounded the small scientific audience with evidence that one mistletoe species had an extremely tiny mitochondrial genome and lacked key proteins thought to be required for respiration. That's the chemical pathway that enables mitochondria to make adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, which is the molecular fuel of cells. That evidence about viscum scurrilloideum was later published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Jennifer Sinkler, a plant biochemist at Leibniz University in Germany, was there. She says it felt like everybody was holding their breath at the presentation. They wondered if perhaps Skippington missed the genes because they'd become unrecognizable, or if there was some error in her methods, or maybe the genes had moved into the nuclear genome. That's something that can happen with mitochondrial genes, and so far, mistletoe's enormous genomes haven't been completely sequenced. In fact, they're about 24 times the size of our genome. 
Everyone was eager to solve the mystery of the missing mistletoe genes. Sinclair says scientists were so excited that they started joking about researchers falling off trees in the attempt to get their hands on mistletoe plants. In fact, as soon as Sinclair and her colleagues returned to Germany, they bought a long branch cutter and started collecting mistletoes. They weren't the only ones. At the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Plant Physiology in Potsdam, Golm, biochemist Etienne Meyer started doing some investigating of his own. And at the John Innes Center in Norwich, England, Janneke Balk similarly decided to dig into mistletoe mitochondria. Balk's team soon reached out to Meyer's, and the two labs joined forces. Here's Meyer. It was a very interesting collaboration where we thought, okay, we're in the UK, you're in Germany, let's try to do things in parallel and use that as replicates. And that would make the story even more solid because it's kind of what people dream of in science, that somebody else from somewhere else is replicating their experiments and find the same results. In the end, all three research teams came to the same conclusion. Mistletoe mitochondria don't perform the same ATP-generating process as the mitochondria of all other plants, fungi, and animals. The genes Skippington spoke of are truly gone, not mutated or repositioned. And as of yet, no one knows how mistletoes survive without them. In all other multicellular life studied to date, and in most single-celled eukaryotes for that matter, mitochondria produce ATP in a five-step process. Each step is performed by a separate suite of proteins known as complexes one through five. Botanist Gita Peterson says that's a completely fundamental thing of all cellular life. This is where mistletoe becomes unique because this whole system, it's like the so-called respiratory complex that occurs everywhere in life is built of five different components or complexes and one of these the very first complex is totally missing in mistletoes at first we thought that it was really bizarre i'm a plant sustainatist by training so i was just amazed and thought well this can't be true <laughs> Meyer says in plants, it's kind of okay not to have complex one, but in humans, it's another story. In animals, it's dramatic. So if you have a human that is born with a complex one deficiency, it will die after maximum 10 years. So the child will die. And it could be any kind of disease, uh, myopathy, brain damage, some liver problem. So because every tissue that needs a lot of energy needs functioning mitochondria. In terms of mistletoe, at first Peterson and her colleagues thought that maybe this loss of complex one might be common. One of the things that we did when we also first discovered this was we thought, okay, is this a special property of parasitic plants? So we actually screened a bunch of other parasitic plants, not from all the 12 lineages, but we have at least data from nine different groups of parasitic plants, and all the other ones are normal. Something special seemingly happened in the mistletoes alone. But how do mistletoes compensate for the loss of these incredibly important genes? Meyer is not sure. Here we can only speculate. So we don't have very clear answers. 
and we don't know exactly what it takes from the host. Meyer points out what you see when you see mistletoe interacting with its host. When you look at a tree with the mistletoe, it's a tree that is suffering first and the mistletoe at the end. I rarely see a, a mistletoe that looks sick on a tree. It's always a tree that looks sick and once the tree is too sick, then the mistletoe is dying because it doesn't get anything anymore. Experiments show that mistletoes make some ATP. It's just unclear whether their mitochondria play a large role in that. Meyer and Balk's collaboration found that the plants do produce more proteins for use in glycolysis, an inefficient method of splitting apart sugars to make ATP that's found in all cells. However, the scientists couldn't determine exactly how much ATP the plants generate that way. Still, ramping up glycolysis enough to rival mitochondria's usual ATP output would take a lot more sugar. Meyer's hunch is that the mistletoes steal sugar from their host, along with water and minerals. Meyer says you can compare it to an imaginary city. So you would imagine your city that is normally self-sufficient. So it utilizes energy that it can either produce or collects through solar or whatever. And suddenly it has to switch to importing. In the case of the mistletoe, Meyer says they might even use photosynthesis. And that the photosynthesis in mistletoe contributes more into energy supply for the cell than it does in other plants. But this is extremely hypothetical and there's no glimpse of anything that points toward that. But Meyer says you can't exclude the idea. Mistletoes may also just use energy with Scrooge-like miserliness, says Peterson. Many mistletoes are rather slow-growing, so maybe they can kind of like slow everything down so it doesn't need to be that super efficient. However mistletoes get by with their deficient mitochondria, the big unanswered question is why these plants did away with something so seemingly useful. Sinclair's suspicion is that Complex 1 was too burdensome to keep. It consists of about 50 proteins that have to be made in different subcompartments of the cell, assembled and fit into the inner membrane of the mitochondria. The energy cost of making and managing all that is considerable, even if it means more energy in the long run. Sinclair says mistletoes seem to avoid processes that require a lot of energy. Meyer says ditching energy expensive traits, or reductive evolution, is a common theme in parasites. And losing this particular suite of proteins might have additional benefits. Because complex ones spews highly reactive molecules that can cause cellular damage, losing it could make the plants more resilient to stress. Similar mitochondrial gene losses are frequently seen in cancer cells. That's partly why malignant cells can often survive conditions that other cells wouldn't. But Peterson isn't convinced the loss is beneficial at all. I don't have any ideas myself why it could be a benefit. And I've not heard anybody else come up with a really good solution for, for it. My personal theory is that it isn't really a benefit, but maybe once back in time, something happened that was well, perhaps not supposed to happen, but something happened. And then mistletoe just 
managed to cope with what happened. And Peterson says perhaps mistletoe's parasitic lifestyle offered ways to compensate. She's curious about whether additional genetic sequencing might let researchers suss out when the loss happened and whether the plants were already parasitic. If it does turn out that the plant's loss of complex one was random bad luck, then perhaps mistletoes are just like the rest of us. They're doing whatever it takes to survive. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Christy Wilcox's full article, The Mystery of Mistletoe's Missing Genes, on our website, quantamagazine.org.